Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. My name is John Ziegler, and I am one of the pastors here at Trinity. Good to be worshiping with you this morning. If you don't know this, we are a gospel people, right? Christians are supposed to be a good news people. In fact, we love the good news so much that we have a special red book that we read the gospels out of. The gospels are our thing. It's what we do. It's what we live. So I have an exercise for you this morning. Let's imagine that one of your friends, maybe at work or a neighbor, didn't really know much about the gospel, didn't really know much about the Christian faith. And they ask you, well, what is a summary then? Could you just give me like one sentence of what the Gospels are about? Well, what might you say? What would you say to that person? There are, of course, a lot of sentences that we might use to summarize the Gospel. One good sentence would be simply that Jesus is Lord. The good news is that Jesus is king over all. Now, some of us maybe have forgotten about the fact that this is the good news of the gospel that we find in the gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, One of my favorite theologians, the Anglican bishop N.T. Wright, had to write a book for us reminding us. It's called How God Became King, the forgotten story of the gospels. Maybe some of you have heard of it. In our diocese, we have canon theologians, and these are kind of like theologians that help us and guide us. And one of our canon theologians is a guy by the name of Scott McKnight. And Scott McKnight wrote a book, also similarly titled, The King Jesus Gospel, The Original Good News Revisited. Now, why is it that some of our favorite Anglican theologians are writing books titled like, Hey, Jesus is King, by the way, in case you forgot it? Well, it is the case that modern evangelicals, especially in America, many of us have reduced the gospel to the message of personal salvation. We have in some ways syncretized the message of modern enlightenment style individualism with the gospel. And of course, the gospel is about forgiveness of sins. And of course, Jesus does really care about individuals, right? Putting their personal faith in them. But of course, that is just one bigger part of the good news of the Gospels. This morning, I want to remind you that the good news is not about how you can escape this world and go to another world to be in heaven with God. The good news is that God has come from heaven to earth through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he has come to do nothing other than to establish God's good and heavenly reign here on earth. You see, friends, it's not so much about us going to heaven as it is about heaven coming to us. Now, I don't know how many of you guys would be into this kind of thing, but I have to admit to you that when the Netflix show, The Crown, came out, I did very quickly watch the whole first season, which was... It's kind of always is the best season, right? They always can't save the best to less. I don't know if you guys, anybody watched The Crown, but it's a, it's, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really great. Um, but if you watch The Crown, you realize that the queen, Elizabeth, has no real political power. She is just a figurehead. In fact, she's trying really hard not to get involved, right? She's very careful not to say anything political. 
And I want to use that this morning as a contrast to remind you that when we talk about God's kingdom, it's not, it, that's not the kind of thing we're talking about. You see, God's rule is a pre-Magna Carta kind of rule. It's an all-encompassing rule. In America, we like our checks and balances, right? We've got, like the, we've got the legislative branch, and we've got the executive branch, and we have the judicial branch, and we like them to kind of stay separate and to check each other, right? That's what they're supposed to do. Uh, some folks have been upset lately, feeling like they're not always doing that super well. I want to remind you today, friends, that in the Gospels, the story that is told, Jesus is the executive power, but not only that, he's the giver of law. And he's also going to come again to judge the living and the dead. You see, there's nothing that checks his power. Our Greek friends call him the Pantocrator. That means the all-powerful one. You can't stop his power. It's an all-encompassing. It reigns over all things. And so I want to look today in our readings at just two terms that come up in those readings and just kind of think through what those terms mean for us. And the first one is the Son of Man. If you guys are familiar with the Gospels, you know over and over again, Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, right? He'll say things like, okay, the Son of Man is going to have to suffer, and he's going to have to be handed over, and he's going to die and be crucified and, and rise from the dead, right? And he'll say things like, the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, that's kind of a funny term, right? Son of man. Where does talk like this come from? Well, the language son of man actually comes from our Old Testament reading today that we, that we read in the book of Daniel chapter 7. And in it, Daniel has this vision. It's an apocalyptic vision, right? So it's full of symbols. And in that vision, there are some beasts. And these beasts are terrifying and they're powerful. And these beasts in the story represent these different kingdoms, these different empires that threaten the life of the people of God. Now, you guys might remember when we were doing the psalm that we were singing about the waves that are kind of rising up. That kind of language, just so you guys know, Israel is a landlocked people. So the, the Philistines, actually, they have like the good coastline, and then further up the coast, it's, there's no good harbors kind of in nor northern Israel. So Israel is very much like, they're not a seafaring people. They just think about the land. So for them, the seas represent the, the nations, and the sea is kind of like a scary place, like not the kind of place they like to go. So when we have that language in the Psalms of the seas roaring up and the seas threatening, it is a symbol of the nations threatening the life of the people of God. And that is actually the very context that we get in Daniel 7. You see, for centuries now, these different kingdoms, whether it be Babylon or Persia or Greece, and later on it would be Rome to come, they are dominating the nations of the earth. And that includes the God's people. And so God's people are wondering, is it always going to be this way? Are God's people always going to be on the bottom? Is our God always going to be unknown? Are we going to continue to live in this current system of injustice? And that is exactly the kind of imagination in the backdrop to Daniel 7 that we get. And so Daniel has this vision of these beasts that represent these different kingdoms that I just named. And then it comes to the part where we open today. There is this vision of an ancient of days, this fiery vision of God on his throne in heaven. And then for some reason, 
the lectionary cut out verses 11 and 12, but right after that vision of God, the Ancient of Days on the throne, we get a vision of the beast actually being slain. The beast is killed. And it says that the other beast, the beast that was boasting is the one that's killed, and then the other beast, their dominion and their power is taken from them. And then we see our reading in verse 13. And in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power and all nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Friends, when Jesus is walking around claiming to be the Son of God, this is the verse that he is recalling. He is claiming to be the one to whom all authority will be given. You see, the Son of Man is not just some religious title that we can put off to the side. It's a political title. It's an all-encompassing title. The Son of Man is to exercise power over the earth. It's, it's a power derived from heaven that will be exercised over the earth. And so when, what Jesus is claiming is that this thing that we read about in Daniel is actually coming through, through his life and his ministry, through his death and his resurrection, and through his ascension and his eventual second coming. All these things about the Son of Man are coming, through, uh, are, are coming true through his life. What I'm trying to remind you today is that in our modern world, we like to, some of us like to section off kind of religion, and it's kind of over here, and it's like this kind of spiritual thing, right? And it's kind of good, like for those of us that are kind of into that thing, right? Like I've got friends that are into yoga, and I've got friends that are into astrology, right? And so some of us maybe think about that, about like Jesus and religion, right? And we like to section it off, and we might imagine that our faith is kind of over here, but then I've got other realms that I live in, right? Like I've got the business world, and kind of the business world is kind of just like doggy dog world, so I got to kind of do and live differently over here. And then maybe we've got our, our world of like politics where we kind of move differently. And then there's like the world of sports, right? Whatever it is, your, your idea, these different little sections that we have. And majority, what I'm trying to tell you is that the story of the Bible is not just that Jesus is kind of competing for these alternative authorities, that Jesus is in fact Lord of all. And that now today we are living in what you might call the now but not yet. Like God has already crowned Jesus Lord of all. He's already raised him up in the ascension. He's already seated in the heavenlies far above every power that we know here. And of course today, not all of us are living under that rule and authority, right? Not all governments, not all businesses, not all of human life is organized under that principle. And so we're still kind of living in this tension of the now but not yet. But we are still living in the hope that Christ will return. King Jesus will fully establish the kingdom. Now, of course, I have been talking about the kingdom in very earthly terms. So I'm wondering if there's anyone here that as I am doing that, you remember our gospel reading. And if you did, that might have created some dissonance for you um, because Jesus says something that I think it's really important for us to clarify as we understand the gospel and who Jesus is. If Jesus' rule is about an earthly rule, and the Son of Man having authority over all things, 
why does Jesus say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world? And I want to take a minute just to talk about that because I think it's very important to the message of the gospel and what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is asking Pilate, I mean, Pilate is asking Jesus, hey, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And this is what I want to clarify with you. It's important that we avoid a common misunderstanding. Not of this world, or even better, not from this world, does not mean that Jesus' kingship, as one commentator put it, is merely spiritual in the sense of being an inward or subjective. It is not simply Christ reigning in the hearts of individuals. The phrase does not so much define the nature of Jesus' kingship as it does locate its origin. If you might remember in the very beginning of John's gospel, we're talking about the word. And through all things, the word was made and how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So the word came from heaven and dwelt among us. And then you might remember in John 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and he's talking about being born from above and how the son was sent into the world. So what I want to let you know is that what Jesus is getting at there is not that the rule and reign isn't about Jesus coming to earth, isn't it about him establishing his rule in very concrete ways. It's about the nature of where it comes from. You see, in, in this culture and the way they understand it, heaven is actually the highest authority that there is. So if something comes from heaven, that means it's not relegated. In other words, Jesus' authority isn't coming from earth. It's not coming from other people. It's not even coming from other kings. His authority uniquely comes from heaven. And this is the good news about the authority that Jesus has. It's an all-powerful, all-encompassing. His power is over the earth and over people and kings, but not derived from them. So if the good news is that Christ is king, then the question for us this morning would be, where is our allegiance? There are many people that will ask for our ultimate allegiance. Some of us work for companies that want us to do whatever is best for the company, no matter what. Some of us belong to a country that will want us to do whatever is best for the country, no matter what. Our political parties, they will want your full allegiance in every way, even our families and our friends too. Friends, this morning, as someone that has been baptized into our Lord Jesus, as someone that has been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, I want to tell you that my ultimate allegiance is with Christ and his kingdom. And I love my neighbors, and I believe in the goodness of organizations and institutions like the government, and I'm happy to work with everyone the best I can but only to the extent that my allegiance to the king and his kingdom is never compromised. This morning, we are about to baptize Charlotte Bedard, and this baptismal rite is all about allegiance to the king.
Ed and Stephanie have put their faith in Christ and they have switched their full allegiance to the king and the kingdom. And in having their baby baptized this morning, they are acting out in their desire to bring their entire family under the reign of Christ.